Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We hope you experience God today. Make sure you visit us at risenking.life to take all your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. We've been studying the book of Jeremiah, and as we go after it today together, we're jumping all the way to chapter 29. But in order for us to understand this chapter, you have to remember a little bit of what's happened. First and foremost, Jeremiah, speaking of a teenager, was called to be a prophet of God when he was a teenager. He had the word of God come into his heart, come into his mouth. And for about eight to ten years, he had tremendous success because when he started his ministry, a reformation was taking place in Judah. The king, Josiah, had led a revival of true worship of the true God. But when Josiah died, the revival died. The Reformation died. And suddenly Jeremiah was left all alone. And for a number of years, as he prophesied to the people of what was about to happen, they tried to shut him up. They didn't listen to him. They tried to hurt him. Many of them felt if they could kill the messenger, they would kill the message. But the problem is that as we get to chapter 29, everything Jeremiah has told them has come true. The people who said, we have the temple. The people who said, we have Jerusalem. The people who said, we have sacrifices. God will never do these things to us have now lost their homes. The temple is destroyed. Jerusalem has been sacked. There are no walls left. They are now, especially those who were the elites, those who were the nobility, those who were in government and business and education and religion, all of those who had any status whatsoever have been completely taken out of their country and away from their city, and they are now in the greatest city on earth at the time, the city of Babylon. And they are strangers in a strange land. Now, I don't know about you, but if I've been speaking to someone for 20 years and they never listen, I might not speak again. <laughs> I, might not, I might say something like, I don't want to waste my breath. But chapter 29 is God speaking to people who haven't listened and giving them another chance. You know, God is not just the God of second chances. He's the God of a million chances. You know, at some point, he never gives up on you, even when you give up on him. And he keeps speaking. And chapter 29 is God speaking to the people in exile. Now, Eugene Peterson writes a lot about this experience. And one of, my, one of the quotes that I really like is he said, The exile was the crucible of Israel's faith. In other words, he has not taken them there to punish them. He has taken their, them there to refine them. He's taken them there to burn out the dross, to get rid of the impurities. He's taken them there so faith might arise. See, many of us, we mistakenly believe God's correction is punishment. His correction is the discipline of a father who loves his child. And this is one of his corrective measures. They were pushed to the edge of their existence where they thought they were hanging on by the skin of their teeth and they found that in fact they had been pushed to the center 
where God was. See, a lot of times, God is the author of you being on the edge so that you will learn to go back to the center. And this passage that we're about to read is God speaking to them at the very edge and calling them back to the center. Now, if you look at what I wrote, I know it's kind of all in there together, but Jeremiah 29.4, I'm not, I'm not the artistic type, Lisa is. I just like to put all the words up there. <laughs> all right, so, so let's read together. I like it when you read God's word. Would you read this with me? Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Now the question that I would like you to think about from this passage for your life out of their lives is how do you find the center when you feel like you're living on the edge? Now, living on the edge feels very dangerous. It feels very unsupported. It feels very insecure. You could feel like that. You could feel like you're financially on the edge. You could feel like you're emotionally on the edge or physically, energy-wise, on the edge. You could feel like, I, I don't have anything left, and yet my life is demanding more. And what many of us do is we get angry or we get hurt or whatever, instead of saying, I'm on the edge to find the center. Now, I, I'm going to illustrate this in a silly way, but... but um, Lisa and I, we have a memory foam mattress. And the edge is dangerous. <laughs> I mean, when you're laying on the edge, you know you're about to fall. I mean, it's just... And, and the problem is, my wife is a diagonal sleeper. <laughs> so every night, I am on the edge. And I go, oh no, it's happening again. <laughs> And the, the idea is so many of us, we're used to living on the edge and we stop thinking, how can I get to the center? How can I get to the center? But it really is illustrated even more as you realize these are people who are strangers in a strange land. Their experience was that Babylon was a city of incredible diversity. It was a city where every culture was represented in the known world at that time. Every single culture and people group that Babylon had conquered, they brought to Babylon. They brought to the city. So suddenly you have no connection to your home. You have no connection to your culture. You have no connection to all the things that made your life seem comfortable or convenient. And now you are thrown in with all these other cultures and all of these groups. And no one seems to have, you know, any idea how do you flourish in this strange land. And so God is speaking to them in chapter 29. He's speaking to strangers in a strange land. And he's saying to them, I have a way for you to flourish even though this isn't your city. 
I don't know if you're hearing me, but it sounds a lot like New York City, doesn't it? And there's a, there's a wrong way to live in a fragmented society. A fragmented society is one where you don't agree on what's right and what's wrong. A fragmented society is one where no one agrees really about what's true and what's false. What's religious, what's God, what, what, what makes life significant, what life makes life matter. That's a fragmented society. And if you don't know you're a stranger here, you're, you're not really listening or looking because everybody feels like a stranger here. Everybody feels like an exile. If you listen to, to liberals, they believe it's too conservative. If you listen to conservatives, they believe it's too liberal. No one feels like it's their home. Well, it's not your home. It's not supposed to be. But there is a way, God says, to find the center when you're on the edge. There's a way to flourish even when you're a stranger. But there's a wrong way. So let me, let me just get the influences that they were facing in Babylon. The first one is this, is that they, they were a conquered people. Now, conquering people had, for, for centuries, had tried to figure out how to control the people they conquered. So a lot of conquering people just try to obliterate the people they conquer. The problem is they don't obliterate them, but they make them angry. And so the, the people they've conquered come back and destroy the conquerors. And so Babylon said, you know, it's not going to work if we just try to destroy everybody. But then they, they look at Egypt, and you know what Egypt did? Egypt enslaved the people they conquered. And they made it to where, you know, they had no rights, they had no property, they had no ownership of their own production, they had to live according to the needs and wants of their masters. And so it ended up that the masters even killed all their firstborn sons. Well, what happens when you enslave people? Well, you just foment insurrection. You just, you just get them into the mindset of rebellion because when you have nothing left to live for, you'll, you'll, you'll kill your masters. And so the Babylonians said, okay, this doesn't work. So the Babylonians came up with an ingenious idea, one that no other conquering people had ever done. They decided that what they would do is they would use assimilation. So here's what the Babylonians did. They conquered you, and they brought you to Babylon, and everything then was given to you to actually be successful. That you would have money, you would have position, you would have status, you would have the potential of of, of whatever success Babylon had, you could have it, but you had to lose your culture. You had to lose your race. You had to lose your identity. You had to become like them in every way. In order to, in order to flourish, you had to forget who you were and become somebody else. We see this in the scriptures in the book of Daniel. You see, Daniel's Hebrew name was Daniel. But in Babylon, they changed his name. And his name became Belteshazzar. And Belteshazzar means devoted to Baal. So here you have Daniel, who is devoted to Yahweh, but the Babylonians are trying to change him even by changing his name. You also see in the book of Daniel that that group of young men, a young Hebrew nobility, who had been trained in the Babylonian schools, who were also given Babylonian names, and they were given all of the riches of Babylon. 
And they rejected it all. They refused to be assimilated. They wouldn't even eat the diet. Daniel wouldn't eat it. The young men wouldn't eat it. But the lion came in the sand, and they, Nebuchadnezzar said, bow down and worship me as a god. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no, we will not assimilate. We will not become what you're trying to make us become. And so Nebuchadnezzar said, okay, you won't assimilate? We'll put you in the fire. And he built a fire seven times hotter than usual. And we know it was that hot because the people that took him to the fire were burned up themselves. They were consumed by it. Their own ropes were consumed. The words of those young men ring in my ears ever since I was a kid. Our God can save us. But whether he chooses to save us or not, we will not bow down and worship you. Wow. What an awesome thing. But then you realize they had to go into the fire. And then you watch. And this becomes, in my mind, the sustaining vision of resisting assimilation. They weren't alone in the fire. They came in as three men, but if you look, there was a fourth. And that fourth one was our Lord Jesus Christ before his incarnation. And he would not let those three men go through the fire by themselves. Well, you have to understand, or what at least hits me in this passage, is I don't know how you can resist assimilation unless you have a sustaining vision of the Lord Jesus in the fire with you. Amen. can't just be a morality or a theology or a doctrine. It has to be a person, because only a person will be in the fire with you. The assimilation perks are just too many. Riches, food, popularity, success. All of those things are dangled before those who will assimilate. Only if you have a true faith, only if your values are really that I value my relationship with Jesus. Only then can you stand up to the assimilation and not become one of them. Now, you might realize I'm not just talking about Babylon. Talking about any place that you are, because the assimilation strategy came straight from hell and smells like smoke. Just give in. Just, is that really a sin? Is that really what God would want from you? Wouldn't God want you to be successful? Wouldn't God want you to be happy and flourish? See, on the edge, there's also temptation to take the assimilation package. And these young men, Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they chose not to. And Jesus was with them every step of the way. Now, it's really hard to rebel against the culture when you are the culture. Are you hearing me? Because yes. this is very powerful stuff that many of us have missed. Well, they had another pressure on them. In chapter 28, <laughs> people are so stupid. Um, <laughs> in chapter 28, listen, I mean, think about this for a minute. These false prophets have been prophesying for 20 years. They've been telling the wrong stuff every step of the way. But because the people wanted to hear what they were saying, they kept believing them. Now they're actually in Babylon, in exile, exactly what Jeremiah told them. And guess who they're still listening to? The false prophets. 
Because they're saying what they want to hear. And so these false prophets in chapter 28 say to them, we're only going to be here two years. So here's what the false prophets say. Resist the Babylonians. Treat them like dogs. Exploit them. Defraud them. Do whatever you have to do, but protect the tribe. This is a form of tribalism that comes. Everybody else is nothing except us. And they say, in two years, you'll be in Jerusalem and they'll be gone. <laughs> That's not what God said, friends. God said 70 years. I don't know where the math would be that two equals 70. <laughs> two years. You can almost endure anything for two years if you know it'll be over. 70 years, you'll be dead. I mean, you think about it right now. We got some builder generation in here. I'm a boomer. There's some Gen X in here. There's some millennials. Well, we would all be dead in 70 years. Some of you might last. But most of us will be dead in 70 years. The ones who get to go back to Jerusalem, those who get to go back to the family, home, and land, haven't even been born yet, probably. In other words, God is saying you can't have a short-term protectionistic view. You cannot listen to the false prophets and flourish. You've got to listen to God. And so, as we move away from the wrong way to do it, here's what God says. He says, build houses in Babylon. Live in them. Plant gardens. Eat. Eat your own produce, what you yourself have made. And then he starts talking about generational flourishing. Have families, have children. Have, have your children have children. But here's what blows me away. He says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Seek the prosperity and peace of the whole city. Every person in it, pray and bless. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't help but think of New York City when I read this and think about Babylon. Babylon was the greatest city on the earth. Every nation, every culture. New York City is the greatest city in the whole world with every nation, every culture. But, you know, unless I'm listening to God's word, I don't bless that city. When I go across George Washington and have to pay that toll, <laughs> and I grew up in the South, I want to start a civil war. <laughs> or at least a Boston Tea Party or something. No taxation without representation kind of a thing. I mean, when I, when I breeze over the bridge in an hour and a half or so to to get to Lisa's medical facility, you know, where she needs to go for medicine. I'm not going there to serve. I'm going to be served. I'm not, you know, when I go to the city, I'm going because I want the restaurants, or I want the entertainment, or I want... So I don't sit there thinking like this, thinking, how do I serve? I think about, how does it serve me? And yet, here's this word from the Lord, that whether you're in New City or New York City, the people of God serve the city. The city doesn't serve the people of God. And if you're not 
convicted by that, you're not being very honest. Augustine helps us to understand what, what Jeremiah is teaching here. Augustine says, there's really only two cities in the world. There's the city of man, and there's the city of God. And every human city, he says, is basically based on pride. It's based on ego. So, so the city serves in such a way to be a proving ground for us. I mean, Frank Sinatra said it, right? If you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. It was actually first sung in Babylon. <laughs> so the idea is that you're going to establish your worth. You're going to establish what you're made of, what you're, you know, what you're good for. You're going to prove yourself. But the problem is that a city based on pride and a city based on ego is exhausting because there's never enough. You go there to get. You don't go to give. You go to get. And everything you get is not enough. I mean, think about it. Somebody in a little town in Indiana hears from all their family and friends, you're the greatest guitarist in Podunk, Indiana. And you get off the subway in New York and there are people begging for you to put coins in their guitar case and they are ten times better than you are from little town, Indiana. That's oppressive. Because no matter how good you are, there's always somebody better. There's always something new. There's always something. And so in some ways, what you find is the oppression leads to competition that says, i got to get mine, which means I may have to take it from you. i got to go up the ladder, which means I might have to step on you. So the city of man is always a place of pride, but it also is an exhausting place because you can never rest because there's always someone getting better than you are, someone making more than you do. Do you notice even billionaires are never satisfied? I'd like to try that a while, but... Uh, <laughs> and the oppression part, have you, not, have you not noticed that when you go away from this area and you come back, immediately you feel a kind of oppression, or maybe that's just LaGuardia and the, <laughs> the billion-dollar renovation that's going to keep going until Jesus returns. <laughs> Or is it 13 billion? I don't know. You understand, if all you do is live in the city of man, you will never flourish. Even if you get success, the oppression and exhaustion will not allow you to be satisfied in it. And so Augustine says, but there is the city of God. And the city of God is based on shalom. It's based on peace. A cessation of all of the striving, a cessation of all of the oppression. Because, you see, the power source of the city of God is grace. And so, when grace is your power source, when you recognize how beautiful grace is, that I'm so evil, Christ had to die for me. But I'm so loved, Christ chose to die for me. And see, when I get to that rock bottom of I'm only in the city of God by grace, then I can really applaud and appreciate you because guess what? You're only here by grace too. But see, if you and I have now come to the table of the Lord by grace, then I am going to be all for you because you're not taking away from me. You're right in there with me and I'm also going to be upset if you're treated unfairly. That if you don't get what you deserve, you don't get what, 
what is coming to you, that, that in a way that this city of God is so characterized by an atmosphere of justice. Because I'm here by grace, I can't stand to see you treated unfairly. What many of us don't realize, in the city of God, we're not united by culture. We're not united by where we came from. We're united because we are in Christ. It is the only place where identity is not based on behavior, but identity is based on relationship. I didn't deserve it, but I have it. I am a well-loved child of God, and if you are in Christ, you are a well-loved child of God as well. But the thing that, that fascinates me as I study the Scriptures more and more is God loves race. He loves culture. He loves the tongues of men. He loves all of the tribes. Because How do I know that? Because it says when you look in heaven, you see every nation, tongue, and tribe. So in other words, in eternity, race is not obliterated. It is glorified. He is not assimilating. Are you hearing me? He's not assimilating us into one culture. He's assimilating us into Christ and keeping the dignity and the beauty of our diversity at the same time. And when you're in the city of God and you see someone else being mistreated because of some earthly issue or some cultural issue or some race, you can't stand it because it's not the city of God in which that happens. It's only in the city of man. I mean, let me give you a silly illustration from my, my childhood, but I, we had a fairly big family with fairly limited resources. My mother would always apportion out our food. Because she knew if she put it in the middle, my brother and I would beat up our little sisters. <laughs> and we would get it all and they would get none. So she would apportion out. And by the time I finished eating, I was still hungry. So I would move down the row and sit over at my sister's shoulder and say, you're going to eat all that? <laughs> you see, when you live in the city of man, somebody else has what you want. And because you're dissatisfied and still hungry, you think if you get what they have, then you will be, but you never are. And so it doesn't matter if it's the issue of race or if it's the issue of culture or if it's the issue of just proximity. If you have what I want, you're my enemy. And I have the right then to destroy you so I can climb the ladder to my own success. But you see, in the city of God, I don't have to prove who I am because who I am, I know who I am. Having received Jesus, he gives me the right to be called a child of God. I know how much I'm worth. My job doesn't dictate that, nor does my bank account or even my health dictate that. The worth has been established because the Son of God said I was worth His own life. Nobody, nobody in the city of man can take away my worth even by rejection. So then this passage says if you're going to flourish, you have to realize you're here to give, you're here to serve, not to receive, but to, but to give. In other words, in order to flourish, you're not a factory, you're a warehouse. You receive to distribute. You receive so you can pass it on. Yes. And as you're doing so, you are actually learning what it is to actually have the capacity to flourish. But Jesus explains it really, really beautifully. He says there's a position 
of the city, or there's a way to look at the world right now. And he's saying, basically, as he explains things, that the two cities exist together. So within every city of man, there is a city of God, a mini-city or an alternative city. So I want you to think about it in this way. You're not living in the city of God now. You are the city of God living in the city of man. Okay, some of you got that. Okay, you're not living in the city of God now. You are the city of God chosen to live in the city of man. That's, that's the whole purpose of your life. And so when you look to the city of man to provide for you what only the city of God can provide, you will look in vain. And if you expect the city of man to be the city of God, you will be angry and disappointed and critical. And guess what? They will never understand grace if all you're ever speaking is law. Oh, come on. That was pretty brilliant. <laughs> Every now and then you've got to give me a little, little love here. So... Here's what, I mean, here's what I'm trying to get across to you. You're not here to assimilate. We're in the world, but not of the world. And you're not here to support your tribe or protect your tribe. Rather, you're here as the only people bringing the shalom of God. Now, some people, the problem with, they look at the shalom and say, oh, it's peace. So some of us would like peace. We'd like people just to shut up, you know? <laughs> We'd like there to be less fighting. We'd like there to be less arguments. We would like there just to be kind of the cessation of Twitter um, uh, or something, you know? <laughs> but shalom is so much more than just peace. Okay, so you've got, you've got to understand what God is saying when he says, I give you my shalom, and I want you to take my shalom to the city. Okay, so shalom is this. Everything that you need to flourish is found when you find the center. Only when God is your center do you have everything you need to flourish. You see, if, if He's not your source, you don't have the shalom. If you're not able to believe Him to receive it from Him, then the mechanism is broken for you to receive the shalom and therefore you have no shalom to give. But the shalom is also every resource of God at your disposal for you to overcome. You never have to assimilate. It's never a choice. Whether, they, whether it's a fiery furnace or it's a lion's den, God can shut the mouth of the lions and he can, he can make even the hottest fire not touch you. But even if it does touch you, he will always be in the fire with you. But see, so many of us, we don't believe for the shalom. So we don't risk for our faith. We don't realize that as you believe, the shalom comes. As you live out your faith, as you speak out of that place of love and grace and the good news of Jesus Christ, God will always give you what you need for every hour. This is the call on your life. Now, this part, this part that I want to share with you is a little technical, but it really means so much. You see, Jeremiah, 
is in a way the first apostle. He is the first with an apostolic type calling. Jeremiah was not just called as a prophet, but it says, you will tear down all these walls. You will, you will destroy. You will do all of these things. You, will, you, you basically are going to just completely uh, destroy everything that exists so that you can build and plant. Well, here, he takes Jeremiah's call, and now he's giving that call to his people. This is an apostolic people. This is a missional people. This is an incarnational people. God is doing in Jeremiah, in the days of the exile, He's doing what He's called you to do. And that is to be His witnesses. To witness the city of God while you live in the city of man. To release the shalom to those who do not deserve it instead of your criticism, your anger, your rebellion, whatever it might be. Instead of the city serving you, you serve the city because you have a resource that doesn't come from the city. And it doesn't matter if it's New City or if it's New York City. It doesn't matter where it is. That city is the city of man. And you are the city of God in the midst of it. So this was lived out in the first century. I'll just spend a minute... Uh, the historical references are from Eusebius. There's, a, there's even a Roman emperor by the name of Julian the Apostate. Wouldn't that be a great name for you? <laughs> um, both of them explain something. There was great preaching in the early centuries. Yes, there were miracles and signs and wonders. All those things were true. But you know what advanced the gospel more than anything else? When the plagues came, the Christians didn't run away. When the plagues came, the pagans all just threw their, threw their relatives and their loved ones out in the street to get them out of the house so they wouldn't get the plague. Some of them left them to die in, in their homes and they went to their country so they'd get away, country homes so they'd get away from them. But God led the Christians, particularly Christians who understood death has no more sting in our life. We're not afraid of dying. We know that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so they began to care for not only the sick, but the poor. Started pooling their money to give uh, food to homeless people. All of these things happened. And so all of these pagan uh, government people who called the Christians impious could not believe the compassion of the Christians. You see, the church of God was established because the people of God recognized we are the city of God living in the city of man. As a matter of fact, what Julian the emperor said is all men see that we don't care about them. But all men see that the Christians do, even at the threat of their own life. Well, I think God is calling us to that today. Jesus had a view of the world and he had a view of the city. In Hebrews chapter 13, 12, the writer explains, Jesus also suffered outside the gate of the city in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we find, or we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Look, I love and, and, and somewhat the foundation of my relationship with God is simply that I'm adopted son of God, that you're adopted as a daughter or a son. But this is a whole other benefit of the work of Christ. And would you listen to me about what it means for you? 
usually the Bible characterizes the city of man as Babylon. So Babylon is the name for the city of man. It's, it's the representative. But the city of God is usually named Jerusalem. It's the city of God is Jerusalem. Here's what this, here's what this passage means for you and me. This is what Jesus... Jesus the very Son of God went into the city of God and was rejected. And he was so cursed by them that they wouldn't even kill him in the city. They had to take him outside the city and hang him on a tree for his curse on his life. But when you see this, you start to realize something. The Son of God was willing to be rejected in the city of God forsaken and cursed and even to be crucified outside the city of God so that you would become a citizen of the city of God forever. You see, I have no right, I have no behavior, I have no heritage that gives me citizenship in the city. But because the one who, whose city it is was willing to be cursed outside the city, now I have entrance to the city. I am a citizen of that city for the rest of eternity. So when he asked me to be the city of God in the city of man, to serve, not to be served, how can I not do so when he has served me like he has? To love every person in the city, to bless and to give the shalom of God to everyone I come in contact with. Are you tracking with me on this? I have messed this up somehow. Can you advance that one? There we go. Would you listen to Eugene Peterson's words for a minute as we close this time out together? Before it ever crossed our minds that God might be important, God singled us out as important. Before we were formed in the womb, God knew us. We are known before we know. This realization has a practical result. No longer do we run here and there, panicked and anxious, searching for the answers to life. Our lives are not puzzles to be figured out. Rather, we come to God who knows us and reveals to us the truth of our lives. The fundamental mistake is to begin with ourselves and not God. God is the center from which all life develops. For I know know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. This is also Eugene Peterson. There is no living the life of faith, whether by prophet or person, without some kind of sustaining vision like this. At some deep level, we need to be convinced that no words are mere words. In particular, God's words are not mere words. They are promises that lead to fulfillments. God performs what he announces. God does what he says. I, I have now shared this message three times, and it just breaks me up every time. Because it is the realization that there is a plan for your life. That his word is true. But you see, 
you can assimilate. There are perks to that. Or you can get tribal and say, we're going to get ours. There are perks to that. But God is not at the center of either of those. At the center of your life, there must be a faith that says he has a vision for me. I was important to him long before he was important to me. Will you stand with me? I'm convinced that some of you are living on the edge. Stretched out, your resources extended. And I'm asking you to come back to the center to have a sustaining vision. If you're in the fire, there's another one in the fire. If you're feeling overwhelmed, there's somebody in the water with you. but it does take faith. I have never seen in this area anyone receive who did not believe. Believing precedes receiving. So I'm calling you back to the center today. I'm saying that whatever's taken you to the edge is the fire of God to refine your faith. That whatever God in His power has not proven prevent it, God in his wisdom has permitted. You are not living right now in the city of God, but you will be. But for now, you are the city of God, living in the city of man. You are an apostolic people. You're a missionary people. But the choice is that you'll either change your mission and then not be all about serving you, it'll all be about serving him and then serving those he assigns to you. Can you make those steps today? His power and his presence has been so strong. I know I hear the music, I'm supposed to stop, but his presence is so wonderful right now. I feel like he's commissioning us for something big. I don't know what it is. But if we get in position and we receive his shalom, will always have the resources to overcome. So would you, in faith, by faith, maybe even against your doubts, would you say these words with me? I receive, I receive your, shalom. your shalom. By faith, by faith. You, are to you are giving to me everything I need, everything I need to, flourish. to flourish. I receive all your resources to overcome from the edge to the middle as a stranger in a strange land i choose to be the city of god as i live in the city of man wow can you feel that I know I'm kind of sensitive to these things, but man, I feel the Father's pleasure. I don't know if all of you are there, maybe you're saying the words, but it's amazing when you start to say the words how your heart begins to move that way. But here's the thing I, I want you to leave with. If God has promised, it's already done. 
His promises are yes and amen because He's already done it. You just have to walk into it. Wherever your job is, your family is, wherever your friendships are, wherever your life is right now, you are taking the shalom of God with you. Believe it. Believe they will see a difference. Just as the Romans couldn't escape Christianity, the city cannot escape the city of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.